It's only entertainment. Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. With me today, Jason Vygotsky. He's with Pedal Fast. Jason, thanks for being with us at the Talking Hedge. Thanks for having me, Josh. What is Pedal Fast for those who haven't heard about it? What do you do? Uh, Pedal Fast is a go-to-market platform. So when you think about uh, brands and how do you get to retailers and then ultimately touch consumers, um, there's different route-to-market strategies that exist. Um, obviously, a distributor fits you know squarely into the the mix there. Um, but my background is alcohol, beverage, um, and natural food, and and have been in both for a while. And and uh, Pedal Fast is a little bit of both of those strategies. Um, tied into one. So today we operate in California. Um, we're launching Michigan and Massachusetts in the next, uh, call it four to six months. Um, and if you're a brand and you're looking for national distribution, um, you know we're, we're starting to become you know one of the staples of how you would do that. When when will cannabis brands actually matter? Uh, it's still like you know even though. It seems like on the West Coast, we've been in this for a long time. There are states who, who haven't regulated it at all. So when people are still looking at for the highest THC at the lowest price point, that's not really branding, but eventually it becomes that as they kind of go to their more normal go-tos or uh, heaven forbid, they're allowed to advertise and, and connect that way. Um, when, when will we actually see the rise of cannabis branding? Yeah, I mean, I think THC that the consumers wanting THC, like you just mentioned, that's a byproduct of having weak branding. Um, you know, go talk to 710 Labs. 710 Labs gets a premium on their product versus their competition, right? And and people could care less about what the THC percentage is of their products because they know what that brand stands for and what they do. So um, there are plenty of brands that counteract, you know, the the uneducated consumer just looking for the highest percentage that they can possibly find. But brands are starting to matter now. And, and the reason why brands are starting to matter now is because as the industry, especially in California, Michigan, Massachusetts, are racing to the bottom, you're seeing competition pick up. And when competition picks up, your brand matters more and more. It's just not about having weed anymore, right? Everybody has weed. We can go get weed very easily in the legal market to create a brand. Who's going to differentiate themselves? Who's going to ultimately grab a consumer? And I think the most challenging thing is cannabis. It's not actually getting a consumer to try your product. It's getting the consumer to come back and take your product again and again and again, because ultimately, even me, I get more samples and I see more brands than probably anybody in California. I still go into a store and I want to try something new because it's just a new industry. It's a new thing. It's a new form factor. So I think anybody that bases education and and embraces the fact that the consumer is going to want to go on a journey and and want to see a path, right? The brand has to uh, be a part of that journey or, or you're going to struggle. We just did a podcast on repeat pre-roll sales in Washington state. We love our pre-rolls out here. Um, I, I wouldn't probably repeat an experience I had with two very well-known brands, Stizzy and Cookies. The Stizzy vape that I um, have somewhere um, and the Cookies Blunt that I had, terrible. So I'm assuming that's all branding and not actually product, even though I thought Burner was all about genetics and everything else. But the Blunt I had was terrible. The Stizzy's vape I had was horrible. Um what does it take to get people to repeat? I mean, obviously, there's a whole demographic of, of people who, uh, who 
look at these brands being Stizzy and Cookies and they relate to that somehow and they keep going back regardless of the uh, experience. <laughs> what is it though about repeat purchasing uh, that gets people to come back? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting question and you brought up two brands that are extremely successful, right? I think number one, from a branding perspective, I, I don't believe you're the target audience for those two products. Uh, number two, um, because they're, they're doing a lot in the culture, they're doing a lot in the, in the fashion industry, they're doing a lot of, uh, you know, forget about the quality of the product, they're, they are capturing folks that are in that 21 to 24 year old age and then trying to capture them for life. Um, but I'll tell you, it's hard as hell to keep the consistency across the country. And I'll tell you even more so, Washington might be the hardest state for consistency and quality. Um, with just how the structure is up there. Um, but in, in any event, uh, typically in California, where, where Cookies is from, I mean, their product is, you know, definitely up there in, in, in quality and, and they do a great job. I haven't tried it in all the different markets, but when you're flour, more so than oil, right? And it's interesting that you say that about Stizzy um, because flour is, is very difficult to, to scale across the country and keep it consistent. I don't, you could have the same exact grow in the same exact way, but like you do it in the desert versus doing it in, in Santa Barbara, it's just going to be different. Um, and it's just hard to keep things consistency, especially with flour oil. You can get it there. I mean, you can really dial that in, especially if it's, if it's live resin or distillate, but, um, keeping the consistency is extremely challenging, but those two companies, those are marketing machines and they also have more dough than, than their competitors. Right. So, um, they're doing something right. Um, on the marketing size of the business, whereas uh, it seems like they, they got to go back to the drawing board on the, in the quality up there. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if you're necessarily the, the target consumer. No, I would, I would agree with that. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to ask you about was uh, CPG. A lot of folks are coming into the industry and saying, um, Oh, this is just a consumer uh, consumer product good. Like Tilray, for example, uh, Brandon Kennedy, the previous CEO of Tilray, was was kind of famous when he said that uh, you know they're a CPG company and nobody um, you know he doesn't care about cannabis and didn't come from cannabis and they're kind of proud of that. And yet they post stupid things like this where they're saying that they hang dry their flower so that the lingering mineral content and the branches drawn down to the buds by gravity and increase the cannabinoid content in the final product. They've since taken this down because they were so ridiculed uh, about this post um, and how they are, are able to grow when in fact, I don't think they know anything um, to be quite candid with you. So when, when we look at CPG, are, are, is the concept, the idea that Brandon Kennedy and Tilray had just like way into the future? Because it doesn't seem like we're there yet. Uh, no, they're not way in the future and they're not even going to be here in the future because Tilray is a laughing stock of the industry as far as how they go to market and how they talk about cannabis. Um, that is a financial engineered crock of shit and everybody in the cannabis space knows it, right? And they're trying to find a way to back into cannabis and, and take traditional CPG brands and, and morph them in the cannabis. The one thing they don't realize is that the cannabis consumer has more loyalty to the tradition and, and the, the uh, just the culture, right? 
than any other consumer that I've seen, right? And the typical consumer that those folks are used to going after in traditional CPG, right? They're not here, okay? And the stoner sees through that shit really, really quickly. And they know it's not authentic and they know it's all bullshit and it does not resonate. So if you're gonna go capture the CPG consumer in cannabis in the United States, right? Even in Cal or in Canada, right? You need to be authentic. And I don't think there's anything authentic about Tilray or some of the other uh, Canadian companies and what they're doing in comparison to what's going on in the United States. So um, CPG for me is, is a great basis and a great way to structure um, your business. And, and it, those principles have worked for a long, long time. But if you don't combine that with some real knowledge of what's going on in the street and what the consumer wants, right? You're going to be this financial engineer company that gets laughed at, right? And that's what Tilray is right now. Um, uh, kudos to Canopy Growth. I mean, I think they've pivoted with some of their acquisitions into combating that, right? Combating that with, they just bought Wana, they just bought a company called Jetty, right? Buying brands that can work within a real CPG structure, but have real authenticity within the space and are doing things the right way and connecting with the real consumer that everybody's after right now. Do you have a, um, any other examples of, of how people are marketing authentically? Um, I, I, I mentioned I love the 710 Labs, right? That, that's the best market around quality. People know what you're getting with quality. They've also done scarcity very well from a marketing standpoint to get on their list. Um, they make drops and it's out of stock and uh, whether that's on purpose or not, like they've done mm -hmm. it right. Um, so I think 710 Labs for me is, is an unbelievable brand and what they've done. We represent a brand called Yada Yada, and uh, it's a whimsical, funny brand with a great product behind it. Um, it is the fastest growing brand in the state of California. Um, it is the only brand in the top 10 flower category that wasn't around even in 2021, and, and they're already the seventh largest brand per headset. Um, so Yada Yada is, is doing something right. And then I would, I would, uh, I think somebody is going to own the California Dreamin type of uh, brand uh, because I'm from Philly. So right now my boys in Philadelphia, they're like, they're just happy that there's weed on a shelf. You mm. know what I mean? It could say shit in the bag and they're still going to be the happiest dudes that I've ever went because they can just go buy weed, right? Well, as that changes, they're going to want to have branding and have it mean something. And I believe that there's a brand called Space Coyote that we also represent in California. Um, when you look at the founders, you know, you're looking at long blonde hair, you're looking at like the most pretty people I've ever seen in my life. And that resonates through their brand. And I believe taking that across the country is gonna resonate even more so than it is in California, in Illinois, in Pennsylvania, in Massachusetts. So I'm, I am, if I'm an MSO, I'm scared of the California brand going across the country in reverse because I believe the consumer, at least, you know, for me being a, being an East coast guy, now I live in, in California. Um, when you think of cannabis, I think of like the beach and surfing and, and, you know, weed in California and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Seattle. And um, I believe that that brand space coyote really captures that feeling and when that goes across the country to the East Coast, I think it's going to resonate very well. 
Yeah, you don't see uh, Corona up in the mountains, even though it's it's active and uh, people are having a good time snowboarding, whatever. But you, you always kind of attribute Corona with with the beach, and that's kind of who they're targeting, uh, even with with Snoop Dogg as a, a spokesperson. Um, and, you just and, wouldn't even want, like, you wouldn't desire a Corona if we just finished snowboarding. You know what I mean? You just wouldn't want that. Mm-hmm. You probably want to see here in Nevada, right? And but if you're on the beach, I don't care what kind of thing you'd like to drink, you're go- that that brand is going to resonate. And I think that with cannabis is what I'm talking about with that California dream in type of lifestyle. Somebody's going to own that. And I think this brand Space Coyote has a great opportunity. When I was up in uh, Vancouver, BC, um, right before the, the pandemic, I went to a, uh, a medical shop dispensary in this. Um, I had asked the guy what. Uh, what type of cultivar this weed strain was i hadn't actually seen weed as a strain before i was like is that a sativa or indica and he's like man weed is weed it's just weed yeah. <laughs> uh so obviously we, we've got some ways to go before um you know that that goes to the wayside and more towards the branding which is going to um evoke emotion and and get people to um you know, see through that, that, that brand, whether it's from the transparent uh, founders that are able to kind of establish the storyline behind that. You said that we're, we're kind of there, we're, we're ready for that. And yet Philly is just kind of wanting weed on the shelf. When as a whole, are we going to see traditional marketing in the cannabis space? Uh, a couple of things. That's that's a that's a big question. I think number one, if you're going to start an alcohol beverage brand, California, Illinois, Florida, New York, Texas, right? That's where you start, and then you fill in the gaps because those are the influencer type of states. Okay, right now you can do it in LA and and obviously California. Um, not really Illinois because there's not much. It's still very monopolistic and, and vertical. New York is coming, you know, Florida will flip at some point to, to start the playbook of traditional CPG. You need those States to open up. Okay. Because that's where, that's where all the trends are made, right? Austin, Texas, Miami, New York city, Chicago, Los Angeles, right? So, so if you're building an alcohol beverage brand, that's where you're starting and you're going to, you're going to fill in the gaps from there. Um, So I think number one, we need, recreational weed to be legal in those states okay um number two you don't have the playbook i mean building a brand is is connecting with a consumer um and 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 tugging on their their emotions in some sort of way whatever way you're you're trying to you know sway them right um we don't have the traditional platforms i mean i was talking yesterday to somebody and it's like they're like oh yeah what do you guys help your brands do on instagram i'm like instagram everybody's shadow banned everybody's getting shut down like you're not going to do anything on instagram that is is meaningful or tiktok um you know linkedin yes but that's more of a business per you know type of site so we don't have the normal playbooks. We need the ability to capture consumers and connect with them. And we just don't have the normal channel, uh, channels. So kudos to Cookies, kudos to Stizzy. Um, Jeter has done an amazing job. Um, there's a couple of them that have, have broke away and, and have done a great job. And, and the one consistent thing with all of those brands is that they have been extremely well capitalized to do that. Um, I'm interested to see when that normal playbook comes to light. 
and and you're able to use the the traditional methods, which I think will will slowly happen here over the next couple of years. Um, then you're going to see brands being built, and you're going to see branding that and the lifestyle brands and 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 and, and the like. Is Cookies developing that model right now? They've they've got an international platform that seems to be working more so than. Um, I mean, it's, I don't see it's easy to open up a, a storefront, but it is easier than uh, you know opening up a, a whole production facility, for example. Um, so, yeah, I mean, are they are they the the future franchise model that people are looking at, or what what is and what makes somebody that that franchise model or international platform? Well, I, I, there's a couple things. Number one, I personally don't believe a consumer package, good brand and a retail brand should be the same thing. I think it causes some confusion, right? Um, so while they have been very successful, that that for me is is a challenge. And, and you can say the same thing about Stizzy, right? Long, long-term, it has worked today, but long-term, um, uh, I just, you start to get into some challenges when you're taking a brand and you need your competitors to support it, but you're competing against them, against them as a retailer, right? So vertical integration tends to start to knock heads as it scales. Um, but the what they have done better than anybody else is uh, the apparel. I mean, there is no... Um, there's nothing that's holding anybody back from traditional playbooks and marketing and on, on apparel. And I don't know what they do in sales, but I got a good feeling that their apparel business is a monster, right? So um, the apparel business is where they're driving traffic to um, and using that traditional playbook on online and digital and, and having those type of stores. Um, and they've been able to bring a kind of a cult following to that, that culture of that, you know, she's 18 to 24 year old, right? Um, and they've done a great job and Stizzy's in the same vein um, and, and, and Jeter as, as well. So um, I think the, the apparel is certainly a thing to watch, right? Because you can do the normal things. Um, and they've also done the, the you know, is Burner the, the biggest celebrity in the world? No, um, but he's done it very tastefully. Right. And, and, you know, in comparison to, I don't know, Tyson 2.0, like throwing Tyson's name all over everything um, is a little bit in your face to me. Um, I, I don't necessarily agree with it. I think, you know, the ear bite is a thing that really rubs me the wrong way. Um, but they've done a great job as well. I mean, they, they just raised a bunch of money and they've been able to execute and they have a great team. But for me, I think Burner and, and what they've been able to do from a celebrity standpoint and getting in the rap songs and getting in that scene, um, combining it with the apparel, like done a pretty damn good job. Well, what's going to be the next biggest driver for the industry? Is it going to be, you know, um, either being able to cross state, state lines or banking, bringing in additional capital um, what do you think is going to be the, the next big catalyst that's going to drive the industry farther? Uh, number one, I don't think state lines is happening anytime in the near future. You know, I have, there is absolutely no basis behind that other than me. Um, however, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think we have a, we have an evolution before that happens. And, and all of these states want to keep as much of those tax dollars within those states. So I find it very hard to believe that 
that is something that happens in the near future. But for me, this is the most undercapitalized space I've ever been in by far times 10. Um, so we need access to capital. Um, operators are dealing with 280E that makes it even harder to operate. We're dealing with regulation changes all over the place. If in my mind, this industry needs more capital because it's the fast and growing, it's the fastest growing industry, you know, at least in my lifetime. And um, we're going to, to need more capital in either of these succeed. So I think safe banking unlocks institutional capital. Um, it unlocks a lot of people that are on the sidelines. That is the biggest catalyst for me um, in the near term that could get done. I think everybody could operate as is in the structure of state by state. Um, but the 15 VC firms that everybody raises from in, in cannabis, like, that's not going to get the job done. And they've been great supporters. And my VC that, that has supported my three businesses um, is, is Merida Capital, and, and they're as good as it gets. But um, the 15 guys can't fund everything, you know? So um, safe banking for me is, is the biggest thing that could change the space in a big way. What's been that shift in, in the um, uh, capital raising environment just in the last couple of years? Um, it's it shifted quite a bit just from what I've seen. I'd like to get your 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 point of view on it. Where where is it at now and, and how has it shifted? This is the hardest climate I have ever seen for uh, cannabis operators to raise money, um, especially if you're a brand. Um, right now, the oversupply in California is putting unbelievable pressure on brands. Whatever your pro forma said, whatever you were telling investors, whatever you raised at, you did not price in the type of uh, flower prices that we have today in the state. Like you just didn't. And uh, nobody was prepared for that. Um, I don't even know how you could prepare for what we're seeing right now. Like, um, so there's a lot of businesses that are just upside down. That means there's a lot of VCs that are upside down. <laughs> it means they just can't go and raise more money to go deploy. Times that by the more macro scene that we're seeing in the general economy, right? And, and you got a really distressed space. And oh, by the way, there's only 15 VCs or 20 or whatever it may be. Um, so it's, uh, it's a challenge. The other pieces, the public companies have gotten smashed, right? It's, it's sad because you look at their businesses and I look at GTI's business and I go, why are they down so much? Their business is better than it was a year ago. And they're down by, you know, 70% or whatever it is like they're, they're spinning off profits. So, um, right now everything is just distressed. Um, which is really hurting the small guy, which is putting the guy with the balance sheet in a position to gobble it up um, or withstand this time period um, more so than others. And this is my second go around in this. It will turn around and there will be tailwinds again. And, and there'll be something, whether it's safe banking or something else that pushes it in that direction. So what I'm telling my brands and what our company is doing, I mean, cash is king right now. Um, you know, we're, we are making sure that we have a very healthy balance sheet because there's going to be a lot of opportunity um, in, in California and other states to climb up the leaderboard. Um, but right now, if you can't raise money, you don't have access to capital. I find it very hard to believe that uh, there's many folks that are profitable out there in this type of climate. If you can't raise, you know, you're going to have problems. So um, 
if the oversupply continues the way it is, well, it's just simple economics. I mean, people are, the price is going to drop. People are going to go back and out of business, and then the price will start to rise again when that get clears out. So that evolution is happening right in front of our face. And um, I remember like sitting in economics class in, in Bucknell, being like, "What the hell am I ever going to use this supply and demand stuff for?" Right. And now I'm I'm, I'm sitting here watching it, and and uh, it's it's interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious if uh, some of those Philly folks out there are going to be future. Um, distressed assets. A lot of them were looking at seven to $9,000 pounds uh, of flour and uh, pitch decks that I was reviewing, you know, not that long ago. So hopefully they've come back down to reality. What, what are the cannabis subsectors that you're seeing that are still attracting equity capital or in your opinion, worth looking at? Um, distressed. I mean, there's a lot of really is that specific to like producers, processor, retailers, or? No, I think I think the thing that people are staying far, the furthest away from is the grow itself. It's crazy, like how two and a half years ago or three years ago, everybody's like, oh, Jason, come see my grow. It's beautiful. It's amazing, <laughs> right? And now it's like, oh, no, I have a big grow. That's like a scary thing because, you know, you're just, it's very hard to get the type of price from a grow right now. Like it's just mm-hmm. like price per pound. I mean, 300, 400, 200, 800, like that's tough, you know? So uh, really, really challenging in that side. I, I personally, I still believe in the tech side. I mean, this industry is gonna be massive. There's gonna need to be infrastructure to support. I know they're beaten down a little bit and, and maybe the you know valuations got a little ahead of our, ourselves, but um, there's some really nice tech players out there that are really supporting the space. And, and I think you could probably get in there at a little bit better price than, than a year ago. Um, and for me, PedalFast is uh, that distributor lane and, and the support of brands into retail is uh, what we believe is extremely valuable. It's obviously my background. I'm a little bit more biased on, on that lane. But um, when you say wine and spirits, Right, you say Southern Wine and Spirits as the distributor, or Breakthrough Beverage, or R and D C. Right, those are massive companies, massive companies, and um, there's going to be big, big winners in that lane as well. So, um, if you believe in brands, a great way to invest is not necessarily in in the individual brand because you you know there's a lot of risk there right now, but that distributor um, or that you know sales agency, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, reaps the value of uh, the same thing that a, a distributor would in those relationships at retail and a brand portfolio. So those are a couple of lanes that, that I'm uh, obviously interested in. Yeah, I think um, underrated too. There's a lot of uh, distribution companies that have made companies um, and other people that are, are, are ignorant to the importance of distribution who put everything else in front and then found themselves without any clients uh, and people purchasing because they didn't invest in that, that uh, distribution CBD companies uh, specifically too um, weren't, weren't free from that when uh, they thought they could get into like a little 25 stores of CVS or Rite Aids or Walgreens or whatever uh, and then realize like no one's buying it because they don't have the marketing and advertising behind it. So even though they did get the distribution, they didn't think it all the way through. So there's- So driving velocity, you know, even if you get the distribution, 
driving velocity is expensive. I don't care what industry you're in. And yeah. to get a consumer to pick up your product versus everybody else's, that's that's no easy task, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think distribution is is a big piece and, and there'll be some big winners there. Um, and then what tech companies, what marketing companies can help drive velocity? Um, Pedal Fast is a little bit of both of those. Well, if somebody wants to get um, some more information about Pedal Fast, where can they find you at? Social media or website? You can you can go to pedalfast.com. We um, you know we're not raising money or anything. We're we're very well capitalized, but certainly um, brands and partners and anybody that wants to just chat, feel free to go through pedalfast.com or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, that's really the only platform that I participate in aggressively. Um, if, if you want to just understand what we do or what I do and, um, or want some advice, certainly uh, interested. And I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't get a lot of advice and a lot of people didn't help me. So always, always excited to help folks. Well, we'll throw uh, your LinkedIn contact uh, in the show notes. And then people can find you through Pedal Fast. Uh, website as well. But I think with that, we're going to have to roll this one up. So I want to thank my guest, Jason Vygoski. He's with Pedal Fast. Jason, thanks again for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.